Welcome to Hoopsville, everybody. Have you missed us? We've certainly missed you. We apologize in advance, I'm Dave McHugh, for our absentness. Absentness, I believe, is the right way of saying that. Um, if you are a a huge fan of the show or you or you listen to every show, you'll know that we have not had a show since February when we did our exit interview with Dan Dutcher, who is now no longer the Division Three Vice President. Um, off into retirement, we tip our hat to Mr. Dutcher for that. But we took a break. It was an unintended break. It was an unscheduled break. It was an unknown break when we put the Dan Dutcher show together. We were getting ready to lead up to the decisions that were gonna be made regarding Division Three tournaments and teams, whether they're gonna be in them or not, and games were starting to get played at a little bit of a more furious pace, though certainly not at, a, at the normal we're used to in February. We were grinding behind the scenes, certainly, um, trying to keep our pulse on things for the tournaments. We'll talk about that in a moment. To be honest, we needed a break, and we didn't realize it at the time. And it just kind of happened. Um, first and foremost, I, I kind of look back to our colleague, Pat Coleman, who took a break from the, from the uh, Hoops website, at the very least, uh, a few years ago. And I don't think I appreciated then. What I appreciate now is, is sometimes you're just grinding on something, and... You just, you, 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 <laughs> you, your body and your mind goes, Hey, listen, shut it down for a bit. Um, we, we had kind of hit that point, maybe not, not in February, but much sooner than that, the pandemic kind of opened up an opportunity that we didn't realize was there. But at the same time, physically, I had been, um, in some tough shape for the last few years. Also professionally, uh, the COVID year was brutal to be blunt and I had work spinning up, uh, which I hadn't had. I literally went from zero to 60 in the drop of a hat. Uh, I'm more than thrilled. I will not complain that I am working my tail off um, uh, with almost no time off. But because of after the last year, I, I will never complain about that. But it all kind of came together and an unintended break. Uh, and we apologize for that. But we are, we are in a much better place now than we were. We are moving forward. We have a lot of renewed energy. We look forward to getting some podcasts out the door for all of you leading up to the next season, whatever that season may look like. No, I'm not alluding to some changes. I'm just saying after the pandemic, every season, I think we will look at in a different light. We will not take things for granted. We will appreciate every moment a season presents to us. And, and speaking of which, we really thought we would be covering the pandemic decisions, the cancellation of the tournament. Of course, Division Three being the only ones who didn't have winter championships uh, in the NCAA. We, we thought we would be covering at least the games that were being played. We thought we would be talking to the coaches who were trying to play, though the, the themes were exactly the same. So the interviews might have gotten a little bit redundant had we tried that. We can tell you, listen, we were grinding, as I said, behind the scenes. I, I think something I will take away from the past uh, few months or, or really during the basketball season that I will have a lot of pride in is we had our finger on the pulse of what was going on. Um, while there were some things we couldn't say publicly, we were doing a lot of work behind the scenes to at least feel like we were being in. We had the information, per, correct information, and we were informing the public the best we could or division three, the best we could on what was coming. I know there were a lot of people who, who say they were surprised by the decision by Division Three to cancel the, the tournaments or didn't think it would happen or whatever the case may be. But when I push some of those and say, yeah, 
but we were clearly saying since November that the tournaments were in serious jeopardy of not being played, and we gave you the information as to why. We do get the, I know, it's it just still was surprising, and we certainly understand that perspective. Even if you are ready for something, it is a surprise to some degree. But again, I, we take pride in that we did the work to know what the situation, the data, the information was. When, Div when Division Three stated that the percentages were this, that were, that were playing women's basketball and men's basketball below 50% for both of them, our numbers were very similar to those numbers. Uh, you could argue within the margin of error. The, our error was we couldn't get answers from everybody. We certainly could have tried a little harder maybe, but I assure you, if you ask my wife and you ask my children, I was there were hours of phone calls and emails that I was going and doing because I had nothing else to do, to be blunt. And we understood that the tournaments were likely not going to happen. There were certainly overtures to try and change things or to shrink things down. I think that's a never-ending circle. How far do you shrink before this is pointless? We're, before the costs are still going to be um, astronomical to try and pull it off, we're, the, the hurdle's still astronomical. And on top of that, the challenges in Division Three. Remember, we don't have the budget of Division Two. We don't have the budget of Division One. It is, and yet we have a larger group, and so it is exponentially more difficult to do these things. It's unfortunate. We're going to look back in ten or twenty years of the the missed championship of twenty twenty because it it got derailed halfway through. Could we have finished it with the teams involved? I don't know. Uh, we're going to miss the tournament of twenty twenty one. Could we have pulled it off? Yeah, maybe we can argue we could have, but the reality is decision makers in Division Three. remember Division Three decision makers made these decisions, not some people sitting in some offices in Indianapolis. Division Three administrators, presidents, etc., made these decisions for the betterment of its own division. And I know it wasn't easy. I know it wasn't uh, not fraught with with challenges and conversations and arguments. The decision came out late, hours later than we expected it because conversations were so fraught with argument or counterpoint or are we doing the right thing? They took longer than expected. So this was not easy and it is what it is now. And now we start looking ahead to 21-22 season. We look ahead and a new Division Three, We look ahead at 10 regions. We look at, ahead at new schools entering, schools leaving like St. Thomas, um, and, and other news that will, will distract us from what was challenges. And we will celebrate that we're back on the floor, I would assume, mostly as we used to be, though nothing will be the same. And we, I look forward to that. And the break we got was helpful. We won't be grinding until <laughs> November, most likely. Uh, as But we'll get some podcasts out between now and then, hopefully on a monthly run, if not a couple of months, if we can if we can get it all put together with my schedule. So it's great. And it's we're coming out of the darkness, as it were. That was tough. But we're moving into the light, and, and things will be better. And we look forward to it. And, man... A question was raised on Twitter by our friends at Small Basketball along the lines of who, you know, who's your top five or top ten in Division Three right now? I'll be blunt. That is an impossible question to ask right now. We can look at the teams that played. 
and see what they have, knowing new talents coming in, and then try and gauge them against teams who didn't play, who will bring most of their talent back, or will they bring most of their talent back, or who will come back? There's going to be two classes worth of of athletes who have not played a proper season or any games at all. And to try and pinpoint who will be our best teams, I think we're in for huge surprises next year. The teams that that shone brightest this year, did they give away the farm? Like, does everyone now know what they've got? And so they'll be prepared and those teams take some lumps? Or is it that they played a year and they're more better gel than the others and they're going to steamroll? I, I, it's going to be a fascinating season. I can't wait for it. And we're steadily marching our way there. We, it will be there quicker than you realize, just, just for the record. We're, we're not that far away. Four some odd months from practice, less than, less than five months from season, four and a half months from the season. It'll be here pretty quick. Uh, on today's show, we have one interview segment. It will be our our finale with St. Thomas. Ruth Sin and John Tower will join us to talk about what they remember of Division Three, what their programs have been through in the last few years, and, and what I describe as the uh, kind of deflating balloon of celebrating St. Thomas and Division Three that the pandemic somewhat forced. We'll also talk about what they what they have ahead of them and, and the jump to Division One and what they expect while also remembering their Division Three roots. It's a great conversation with both of them. Uh, we talked together, and uh, I, I encourage you to definitely take the time to listen to that. It was a wonderful conversation. We'll also, at the end of the show, go through some notes. We are not going to cover everything that we missed in the last few months, but we'll do our best to at least hit some of the highlights. Uh, there's some coaching changes. There's some coaching craziness. We'll also talk um, some rule changes that are already coming there our way. Um, but we'll also save some stuff for some future podcasts. We, as they say, will not shoot um, all of our bullets here on this podcast, but we'll get a, we'll get you back up to speed at the very least. So when we come back, we'll talk to Ruth Sin and John Tower. And uh, at, later on the show, we'll go through our notes. You're listening to Hoops Show presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. Want to thank our partners also at Blue Frame Technology for their help. And we'll also talk about future partners as well later in the show. And with that, I encourage you to just wait it out a little bit and you'll hear from John Tower and Ruth Sin from St. Thomas. got more schools than Division 1, more fans than Division 2, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division 3 basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. 
We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here in the month of June. Again, we're looking forward to having more podcasts in this offseason as we get ready for the 21-22 season. I can't believe we're already at that point. Lots to talk about that in the podcast ahead. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA NABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com. And, of course, our hotline presented by Blue Frame Technology. And on the hotline today will be the two coaches of St. Thomas, Ruth Sin and John Tower. They join me together to do this segment uh, in what is a very crazy schedule. So I appreciated the time they gave us, which was just a little bit more than I intended. Uh, they were wonderful with their time, and I appreciated every moment they gave us. And so I encourage you to sit back and enjoy our last conversation with the St. Thomas basketball programs as members of Division Three. Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, I want to thank... The head coaches of St. Thomas it is John Tower and Ruth Sin for joining us. We can see each other just for the uh, background behind the scenes stuff, folks, as we record this. Uh, but coaches, thanks so much for joining us, joining me. I, I really appreciate you taking the time of what I know is now a very busy period of time for you guys. Thanks for having us, Dave. Great to be on with you. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, first and foremost, I can't believe we're here. To be honest with you, I thought the two years would take longer. Uh, and, and, and as John probably knows, Ruth, I, I've been quietly and secretly maybe behind the scenes, maybe hoping D1 would reject the whole plan and just say, no, 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 no they got to stay in D3. I mean, I'm, I'm biased that way, and, and I'm more than willing to admit it. But at the same time, I'm also very excited for you guys and, and proud that you can kind of maybe forge this opportunity that is not going to come very often for anybody in the future either. I'm kind of curious, and Ruth, I'll start with you. I'm kind of curious, what has been the, the last two years been like of the roller coaster of just knowing where would you be in two years' time? You know, it, it's it, as coaches, we always talk about, you know, be where your feet are. Be fully, fully present. And um, we had to live that life. Um, we had to be fully present in Division Three and the MIAC and, and where we're at. And really, it's, it's the way we need to operate. And so, you know, we've just really celebrated um, the last, you know, our, our, our last trip to, to Bethel and our last trip, even though it was odd this year with COVID, um, we were spaced out. We couldn't get together as close as we were, but we just really celebrated it and knowing that, you know, there's a lot to enjoy and a lot to be grateful for. I think this pandemic has given all of us a, a new lens to look at life with. And, you know, we're just, we just embraced the two years and, and made the most of it. And I'm just really proud to, to be able to say that, you know, who we are moving forward is going to be from that division three experience. I mean, those ideals, those um, goals of, of really educating and developing the full person, that's not gonna change. It doesn't matter what level, it's the same work. And we're gonna be doing that. It's, it's 
just going to be with a different type of athlete, but it's, it's going to be the same core principles. And so we're just really uh, grateful for everything that we've gotten from this experience in division three. John, I'd love to get your take on what the last two years have been like for you. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. You, you lump a global pandemic on top of us moving from division three to division one. And if you're, you know, you figure out the odds of a global pandemic, fortunately are pretty low. Uh, and the odds of a school going division three to division one are incredibly low. And then to have those happen simultaneously, um, you know, I think it's been a, a great challenge for all of us, but I, I, throughout the course of it, I think the, the part, uh, and Ruth hit on it, I think we, as much as anything, have been living this with our players, right? That none of us as coaches, oftentimes you can draw upon, hey, at the end of a season, we lose a heartbreaker, you win a championship, you're prepared to give those talks. We're not prepared to give a global pandemic talk. We're not prepared to give a, we're moving from division three to division one, and there are lots of things that are going to change. And so I think um, our players, as much as anything, have looked to us for cues. And um, I think we've tried to be really transparent with them that we're going to do the best that we can, but we haven't been through anything like this. And um, the, the one thing we promised them is we were going to treat the 2019-20 season and then the 2021 season um, the same way we always have with 100% commitment to that team and those players and that journey, um, knowing that there might be different things on the horizon. But that's always the case. You're always looking two, three years down the road. It might be a different um, a different road, but I'm just really proud of the way our players handled it. I think it was not easy for student athletes, students around the country, and um, just really proud of how they handled it. One of the things I'm also curious about was it was about a year ago, I think it was this this topic of whether you were going to be eligible to go down a, a path that hadn't really even been created before and jump to Division One. Kept for lack of a better description, it was the can that kept getting kicked down the alley. Um, and, and it seemed like the decision, yeah, we're talking about it, but it wouldn't come. Well, we want to look more further into it, but it wouldn't come. And I remember about a year ago, I, I sat there going, geez, you know, this decision's got to happen for St. Thomas because there are schedules to be done. And while you guys are wintering, you got a little bit more time. The fall, it's coming up far quicker. And, and in Division One, we—I don't want to dive into the minutia, but there's other involvement in scheduling than it is you guys just trying to find games. There's conferences saying, "Well, does that better position us for postseason play? Does that best position others for stuff? You know, things that in Division Three, some coaches are dying to see conferences maybe be more involved with in the betterment of the conference." So it felt like this just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And about a year ago, I got really worried that you guys were going to enter into this really weird no man's land. Were you ever worried that this wasn't going to happen and you were going to have to fall back on things? Were you ever in a situation where you thought we're literally going to be stuck in no man's land with, with nowhere to be when we get to 2021? I don't think so in the sense there's certainly, there may have been some uncertainty, but I think, you know, a couple of things. One is when you look at our leadership of President Sullivan and Dr. Esten um, and our board of trustees, I mean, I, they're, they're really bright people and these are decisions far above our pay level. And so when I look at that, I think, you know, both Ruth and I went to St. Thomas, we played here, our hearts are here. So I think a lot of it is just that unbridled trust we have in, in our leadership. And the other part of it is just knowing that 
being able to adapt in whatever curveballs are thrown to you, right? We didn't expect not to be in the MIAC. If, you'd, if we had done this podcast three years ago, Dave, or four years ago, I mean, that, who would have thought we'd be sitting here? And, and you look at all the things that have happened in the last two years. It was just about two years ago in May um, when we were removed from the MIAC. And if you look at everything that's happened since then, I, I know that, you know, what we always ask our players, control the controllables, focus, you know, Ruth talked about it earlier, it's, it, those are things that we have to do as coaches too, right? We have to stay in our lane and say, work on our program to the best of our abilities and then let the other people who are experts at their jobs do do their jobs. So I don't think we're ever concerned, at least I wasn't in that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think, you know, as coaches, you know, we, we know that we have to have a narrow focus and our narrow focus is just only the things that we can control. And we had a lot of trust in the people around us and that they were going to put us in a great position to succeed. And that is one of the things that's great about St. Thomas is they do give us that opportunity, you know, to give our student athletes a, a phenomenal experience. And so I, I think there was a lot of trust with that. Yeah, I can imagine that it's helpful to trust those above you to just handle it and you'll just handle what's on your road. Uh, again, the scheduling thing I know is a challenge, so I'm sure that started to become a little bit of a headache. But yeah, talking back two, two years ago, when we looked at, at the fact that the Mayak had finally decided in maybe unscrupulous ways to shove you guys out, I don't think anyone seriously took the D1 thought because we all thought, now you're going to have to go to D2, which is no man's land for you guys in some ways. Uh, it doesn't help some of the other programs at St. Thomas. And then you move on to D1. I mean, that's a long process. So that's not really realistic. Can they go to the Y? Can they go ev everywhere else? And I know you guys were staying in your lane, but two years ago, you knew you were leaving this conference at least. Did you ever think D1 was there? for the taking did you, or did you hear rumors early on that you kind of knew this was the route you were taking Ruth we'll start with you you know I, it, it's funny because you look back and I remember some conversations happening in January and <laughs> and um one of the other coaches like Ruth we think this is going to happen and Ruth I'm worried that you're not with reality <laughs> and I'm like I can't control that I'm in the right. middle of my season we're we're gonna like John was saying we're gonna have trust that the administration will put us in a position to be successful. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that, you know, we, we didn't, you know, we, we weren't thinking that D1 or D2, it was just like, we, we knew that we'll just, we'll just go with it. And in any situation like that, you know, just like with our athletes, we talk about opportunity and adversity and change is where you have the most opportunity for growth and development and wow we have a lot that we're going to be encountering but if we hit it head on with the right approach it's going to be we're going to look back in five years and say look at how much we grew look at how much we improved and look at the development so you know we're just taking one day at a time and with that we're just going to make the best of every every opportunity. You know, I think the interesting part, Dave, is for for years, people have talked about St. Thomas. And if you look at our kind of institutional profile, um, we're pretty unique. Yeah. And so I think that's where, you know, again, above our pay level, but the board of trustees, uh, Dr. Sullivan, Dr. Eston, they're looking at this and how we position the university. Um, and really, if you go back 50 years, St. Thomas, 60 years, my dad was a 1963 grad. Um, this school looked nothing like it did. It was 
all male and then it went co-educational and then it moved from a college to a university and we've added a law school and a school of engineering and a college of business and you can go on and on and on and so in many ways although this has never been done before if you look at what saint thomas has done over the last 50 years and you look at our institutional profile this in many ways seems like almost i don't want to say natural because it never has been done before but a natural um, outgrowth of many of those other moves that that St. Thomas has made at the institutional level. Looking back, when you guys finally realized you'd be leaving the MIAC and eventually you'd be heading to D1, I know, at least from conversations I've had with John and, and a little bit with Ruth, but also from the sense I got from the athletics department, you all wanted to celebrate at least your history and, and your rivals, as you said, with the MIAC and such. And I think you wanted to go out with a little bit of fireworks and I can't blame you in some sense. And, and then this pandemic came along and, and ripped up what was looking like could be a really spectacular end to last season. And we're talking the 1920 uh, season when, when, the, when the tournaments got pulled out from under us. And then this past season looked like it was in deep jeopardy of not being able to be played and thus you wouldn't have a season or you wouldn't get that final Tommy Johnny game. You wouldn't get the game against Bethel or, or some of these others that you guys uh, have such a storied history with. John, were, were you really at any point? I mean, it felt like it kind of ended with a bit of a, of a balloon kind of just deflating. But were you ever thinking that, you know, we're not going to get the finish we really want to our D3 legacy? Uh, you know, I think, David, at a certain point, you learn, you don't control things in life, right? I mean, I, and you, you truly, this is where I think we had the opportunity the last two years to model that for our student athletes more than ever before, is you make the best of what we're given as a group. And whether that means for our alums, whether that means for our current student athletes, you know, our season ended abruptly in 1920 in the NCAA tournament when COVID hit. And this year we played seven games and I, I can't, the amount of work that went into playing those seven games, right, from coaches to players to administration to athletic trainers, was, it was a Herculean task to get those seven games in. And I think our players recognize that. So, sir, was there a tinge of disappointment? Absolutely, because I think we felt like we had teams that could be really competitive nationally again this year. Uh, at the same time, I, I think the thing that struck me, kind of the uh, the pure joy, the intrinsic motivation of sports without having fans. If you were, if you'd had a chance to go to any of those games, our players, but also the opponents, I was struck in all seven of those games, the intensity, the competitiveness, the sportsmanship, it was, it was really refreshing in a unique way to see sort of these student athletes competing. We always talk about, you know, competition for competition's sake and the joy of uh, of that environment. And I think that was a, a sort of perfect laboratory to see it actually, it existed. And our players, um, I think they made the most of, of every day they had. I would agree with John. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about that all the time. And one of the things that this past year brought out is the journey does become the destination. And because there was no championships and there was nothing, it was about every single day celebrating each other, celebrating the opportunity that we get to compete and that we get to beat on, be out on the floor. And, 
you know, ultimately that's what we want all of our student athletes to, to embody is just how grateful we are to have this experience and to come together. And so, you know, we only had seven games, but those seven games we were just so grateful for, you know, it, 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 it was awesome to be able to have a season come together and watch these young ladies and watch these, you know, athletes grow as people. You know, that's the big win in the whole situation when you watch them go through their college years and the person they become. And we got at least to have it. I mean, last year, the spring sports, they didn't even get a season. Right. And so we were very thankful and grateful that we got to be a part of this. Kind of interesting. You finished there in 2020 because you guys missed out on the NCAA tournament after what was maybe a non, most, most. Most teams would be thrilled if they only lost six games in their season. It felt weird to see you guys with six losses. Yeah. But I almost felt like that was a different maybe motivation than John and his squad because you guys heading into this year were looking to kind of say, hey, that was a fluke. Here we are. We're ready to go. Did that kind of drive you guys a little bit differently heading into whatever you could get this past season? There was disappointment when the NCAA championships were, you know, announced ounce that we weren't going to be having it but then it was new focus you know what 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 do we what do we work for why do we really do this and I think you know we really had an understanding this year of our why and why we play why we compete what it is about that makes team sports especially basketball so unique and so special and so we were we just really enjoyed every second of it and like I said I our motto this year was part of something bigger and that, um, you know, we had to grade ourselves every day on our PSB grade. And it's like, we can't control COVID. We can't control that we have to wear masks, but we'll do our part. And if that means that that's what we do. And even wearing the jersey this year, this was the last year that we will wear the jerseys as Division Three athletes. And we're wearing those jerseys for every young woman that wore the jersey before us. And eventually, every young woman that's going to wear the jersey after us. And it's just we do our part in this whole thing and even our social justice stuff. It, it's all about something bigger than ourselves. And so I thought our, our young ladies and our university, St. Thomas, does such a great job of servant leadership, you know, and, you know, John's talked about our administration. It's, it's about how do we give our students access to really grow as people and become, you know, unbelievable community members. Again, you got seven games in this pandemic. I, I want to touch quickly on a couple of things about the pandemic year. Not, not too much, because obviously I want to talk about what's coming. But what was it like to not only prepare to play possible games, not sure what you were going to get, maybe there'd be a postseason, not sure if you're going to have that either. And just the uncertainty of it all, Ruth, as, as you went towards what was ended up being seven games, uh, some of them against your rivals and some against some other teams you knew. What, what, just kind of give us a sense of what that entire experience was once you at least knew you could get back to the floor. You know, John had it worse than I did. <laughs> we, we got on the court a little bit more, uh, you know, but our athletes were testing. We were doing the nasal testing. And, you know, then you just kind of hope and pray that you're not going to get, uh, you know, uh, a positive test. I mean, it's the one time in your life that you want negative. Yeah, you know, and it's um, it 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 it, it created uh, a situation that, you know, you didn't today wasn't get, it, tomorrow wasn't guaranteed, 
so like we said, it, it's about what do we make today and how do we just embrace today and make it what we can. And John made this comment that our athletes and our young people have been so resilient through these. I mean, the amount of Zoom sessions that they partake in in the locker rooms, we could only have six in a locker room at a time. Well, that locker room is a bonding experience, but they were creative they were resilient and they found a way and I give, I give them so much credit, you know, and, and because of that, it, we got to have a season. John, you've got the psychology part of this. We've talked yes. about that a number of times. I don't think you were planning to use it this much. Were you? No, this was, uh, well, this was, you know, we did, we talked about stages of grief, right? Where there's five stages of grief and you've got to get to acceptance and the quicker you get to acceptance, the better it is. That doesn't mean it's easy, but for example, our, uh, you know, and Ruth alluded to this, our, our, well, this was interestingly our longest season we've ever had. So even in the national championship years, those were usually about five months and one week. And I think this year was five months and two weeks, but only seven games instead of 33 games. And so you think about what our players went through over five and a half months to have seven games. In our first game at Hamlin, we found out that night after the game that the tournaments had been canceled. And so that was, after all that, to, to deliver the news to the guys that night in the locker room, which we wanted to, you know, that was tough. And then we, we moved on and we had a couple of times that we took a break and you were, you were worried about what are our tests going to be? And then you had to worry about your previous opponents and your upcoming opponents. And, you know, we ended up, I think the thing our guys at the end were so grateful for, uh, we played St. John's a second time on a Wednesday, we played Bethel on a Saturday. We turned around and played Gustavus on a Sunday. I mean, it was kind of a foolish, but it was like, let's just see how many games we can get in, but then also have a finite end date. So there was some closure, right? So like those three games, it was our last game against St. John's, which was awesome. Our last home game against Bethel. And then our last Mayak game at Gustavus. I felt like each of those three, while they weren't Elite Eight games and Final Four games, they were unique. They were special. And I think our players felt like, hey, this is – we're going to do everything we can to memorialize our time in Division Three in the MIAC. And there was an end date. And I think we felt really fortunate. Not every team around the country, some teams, many teams ended where they got a positive test on a Sunday and their season just ended. So for us to be able to have that closure, particularly given where we're going and what we're leaving, that was to me probably the most important thing, knowing that we could we could have that in our final week. Quickly, the rivalries, obviously St. John's, the Tommy-Johnny rivalry is, is going to be talked about for eons to come. You lose all of those as you go to D1. That's part and parcel with that decision. It's not like it's a surprise to anybody, but how important was it to get those games in? As you said, John, a second game. Um, we can probably tell everybody you guys were working, if this season had been normal, on having three of those games when we don't talk about the playoffs as part of your regular season because you wanted to respect that rivalry so much, but how much was important to get the Johnny game in, to get the Bethel game in? And, and were there any that you wish you had? And, and John, just cause we're all sitting, we'll start with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had one canceled with St. Mary's the last week and that was out of everyone's control. And um, we had had a couple of really great games with them last year, um, both at the end of the regular season in game 20. And then in the, the Mayak playoffs, they, um, made their deepest run and I think their program history. And so that would have been a fun one to play. But, you know, I think our goal was to just play as many games as possible um, to be able to play St. John's twice in seven games was was great, particularly 
the rivalry, but then I think also the way that last season had ended where we were both top five teams in the country and going to play in the Sweet 16. And so, you know, you sort of look at the crowds we've typically played in. And then those games, Coach Fritz and Coach Smith um, were both at that last one sitting courtside. So that was, I mean, that was if anybody ever wants to draw a painting, you know, you've got, you could have your games from the last 70 years and then the two of them sit in their courtside where they're the only fans. It really, that to me was pretty touching. I'd gone to Coach Smith's basketball camps when I was a kid and played for Coach Fritz and worked with them. We, I think our guys at a certain point just figured out like we can want anything we want. We're, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. So just let's make the best of each day and let's, let's have fun along the way. And um, you know, that it's easier said than done, but I really thought that was the, the right way to move forward. Yeah, in our situation, I think what the girls just really understood is that we just got to play for the pure enjoyment. But, you know, there's nuances and, you know, these experiences playing in a pandemic. I mean, how many players are going to be able to say they played collegiate basketball actually in a pandemic without fans? Um, one of the first games that we had was against Bethel. And I, you've been in, I don't know if you've been in our gym, but we have glass doors. And so we have these glass doors and we're playing and we're down by Bethel and we're making a comeback. And all of a sudden we've got some students, they're masked up and they're hitting the glass, cheering us on and the girls see it. And it's probably only about four of them that are there, but it felt like the place was packed. And so those are going to be kind of some of the stories. The story I, I always give is uh, I have a tendency when my players come off the court to visit with them and talk to them. Well, my players were staggered all over the place. I think I ran five miles trying to get to each one of them because they kept sitting different places. So I, I think one of the things that will be is that, you know, this helped us. It's like with everything it, to really understand the present and, and, and the beauty of it and to maximize it. And, and then all the experiences that they'll someday get to tell their children and maybe their grandchildren about what it's like to play in a pandemic with no fans. <laughs> That's the truth. Certainly agree with that. Uh, the transition now is fully on for D1. I'm very curious. Uh, I'll take a quote I heard from Nancy Faye when we talked to her about going to Illinois. She says, I now feel like I'm coaching or running two teams. I've got my actual team and I've got my coaching staff team. Uh, I'm kind of curious from your vantage points, because you guys are literally jumping in the deep end. There's no transition here outside of whatever the pandemic was allowed to give you, if that makes any sense. Ruth, what's it like to, to be now staring at Summit League and D1 schedules and D1 opponents who you probably don't know a lot about? But more importantly, getting the program accelerated into that phase immediately Yes, five years to transition technically before you're eligible for anything. But really, you got to be ready when the ball tips in November. Yeah, uh, well, I think there's only one approach. You've got to be excited. Uh, and if you're not, we shouldn't be doing it. But um, no, we're, we're excited. As I said before, it's, you know, anytime you go through any type of struggle, that's where the biggest growth can happen. So we know there's going to be struggles along the way, but we're excited about that opportunity. And you know, I've talked to a lot of D1 coaches, um, you know, at Oregon State, uh, you know, he was George Fox. And, you know, D3, you do everything. So now we're going to have more people, hopefully, to help involve that. And we'll find our way with that. And as, as John had said is, you know, I, I think what we've learned in our experience with Division Three and our administration is what we do right here 
and how we prioritize people and help growth and development with them, that's when the outcomes take care of itself. And we're going to keep operating under those same guidelines. Uh, John, a little bit of a coup here, sir. Um, you're bringing in a, a little bit of a specialist, if, if I see this correct. For, uh, maybe the coach that was responsible for the biggest news in Division Three, because he left Division Three, and thus Duncan Robinson left, is joining your staff, if I've heard correctly. Maker, correct? Former Williams coach. I mean, that's a bit of a coup, sir. You bring in a little bit of experience like that. Yeah, we're thrilled, Coach Maker. Um, you know, Mike, I've known Mike for quite a while. You know, our, our teams were about to play in the national championship game in 2011. They, yeah. they lost to Worcester, but I, I, even at that point, I had tremendous admiration for him, his program, and actually, you know, some of the offense we ran stemmed from Coach Beeline at West Virginia, who I didn't know at the time, Coach Maker was an assistant of his at West Virginia. So sort of, you know, the, I think the way we like to play basketball aesthetically, efficiently, um, you know, he, he was a part of those teams at West Virginia and then his Williams teams. And we, uh, we played them in 2013 in the elite eight, uh, got to know him a little bit. And I'll never forget in 2014, we were not in the final four, but the first shot I saw Duncan Robinson take, I was like, who in the world is that? And somebody's like, yeah, he's a freshman. Like there was something wrong seeing a guy coming off a staggered screen, shooting a 26 foot jumper and looking that beautiful. Um, and then coach maker, uh, he, his wife and my wife actually graduated from St. Olaf College together in the same year. Um, so when they moved here for Northfield to Northfield for her job as the women's cross country coach, we developed a closer friendship and he spent a lot of time at our practices. And, but again, who knew we were in the Mayak at that point and he frankly was looking at his next move. And over the last year, as this sort of materialized, we had more and more talks. And so, yeah, really, I think both Ruth and I are excited to build out our staffs, but from a division three perspective, I think it's a unique story where we can talk about coaching against each other in 2013 and also just the respect we have for one another. One of the longer um, interview processes, I think that's probably ever taken place as, <laughs> as, as well for, for an assistant job. Before I let you go, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot with players because I know this is a, a, isn't something you can decide yet, but what is the status of players on the team as you guys do transition to D1? This isn't something we usually talk about. It's usually the other way of D1, and those guys have to lose their scholarships or maybe they transfer out. I'm kind of curious what it's like uh, going D3 to D1. Uh, you know, I think it is interesting because you can talk to Division II schools that have done this, but that's a different situation, right, where they have players on scholarship, they're making that jump. And so, um, you know, over the last couple of years, really, we have been, uh, we didn't have a junior varsity this year for the first time, for example. We didn't have any freshmen in our program, and some of that was just trying to manage roster attrition um, over this time and, and helping our, our players land in the right spot. And so we will probably on the men's side next year, have eight or nine returners from this past year's team. And then we'll have probably six newcomers. Um, and so, you know, over the next several years, our roster will turn over, but I, I do think it's such a, an opportunity for these players. And some of our guys are coming back for a fifth year and doing graduate school. And, you know, you look at Bert Hedstrom and Ryan Lindbergh and, you know, the last two years, we've, we've had two of the better teams we've ever had here, finish the season fourth in the country and second in the country. And, their dream was to compete for a national championship. Um, we're not going to get to do that in division one, but it's a different opportunity. And so, you know, those two guys were thrilled. They're coming back. We'll have some other veterans as well. And they, um, you know, for decades, people have said, how good are the best division three players? And I think the three of us on this call would all agree. Oftentimes those players get very underrated. 
our players get this unique opportunity of actually not definitively answering that question, but getting to live it out, not as a one-off like a Duncan Robinson, but let's see how this can all can move into division one, knowing we're going into an incredibly tough conference with great coaches and players. And so I think we have a ton of respect, but also a lot of excitement to, to get to make this move. Yeah. Our, our, our roster is um, the same with that. We've got, you know, probably uh, coming back, we're going to have about eight returners and then we're going to have a probably around eight newcomers and we've got a couple transfers that are coming in. So it's going to be unique and interesting. Um, we have, we have seniors that, you know, are going to, I got, we've got seniors that I've got my phone going off and of course I'm in a new office, so I don't know how to hit it. <laughs> but um, we've got Kaya Porter, who was a preseason All-American for us, and she's going to be coming for a fifth year and doing graduate school. And so it's a, a unique opportunity for her. And, and we've, we've talked to her about that whole process. And she said, I am so excited to, to get this chance and to experience it with our program and our team. Because, I mean, I think as we make this move, our culture is going to be so important. And it's making sure that we have leaders in the culture that will really show our standards and, and, and really exemplify what we're talking about. And so we've got a lot of our seniors that are going to, well, Kaya's coming back. And then we've got a couple of our freshmen and sophomores that are coming back. And then, and then we have had this unique opportunity this past year, like John was saying, to work in October, October 1st, and to work in April and May with these 114 days, which that was a blessing for us to really help in their development and, and give them the tools that were necessary to understand what this next phase is going to be like, this, this next step. So we've kind of utilized our time wisely to give them a, a real good idea of this next step for them. Well, and, and of course, now Steve Fritz doesn't have to pull John Tower away from the glass from looking in at his players who are practicing potentially. That's one of my favorite stories from Division Three with John, at least. Granted, there's a lot of favorite stories with both of you guys. We could be here forever as we reminisce. But I, I would like to kind of get your thoughts on what you will remember of the D3 experience as you head off uh, and leave it in the dust, as it were, not in a negative way, but as you power on to Division One, Ruth, we'll start with you. Um, I just enjoyed so many of the rivalries and so many of the, the, the games. Uh, you know, I, I, I still believe that the Division Three athletic model about each individual student is 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 fantastic and we're going to continue to you know embody those attributes and we're going to continue to bring that even to the d1 stage because i think that is what athletics is all about and you know my favorite experiences from this is is the people it's the coaches that we've coached against it's it's yourself in you know doing this just for the good and to promote these student athletes and give them an opportunity and that's what makes this so special and so we're going to continue to you know embody those attributes and we're going to continue to be that that program we're just going to be at, at a different level and instead of the red st ben's it's going to be the red south dakota and we're, we're going to just make this movement and grow from this experience and, and just be very grateful for everything that we've had. So thank you so much for all you do. Well, thanks. The, the bus trips and the flights will definitely be a, a little bit longer uh, than, than they have been. Bonding experience. Bonding That's experience. That's true. John, your thoughts on, on the D3 experience? 
Yeah, I, mean, I think it, you know, 30 years ago, I was a high school senior just trying to find my way in life. And, and Coach Fritz had recruited me to St. Thomas. And, and so when I think back on that journey, with the exception of five years that I lived in Madison, all of them have been spent here at St. Thomas. And so, you know, more memories than, than certainly you want to hear about. But I, I think the things that stand out most, the seeing young people develop and grow and to have their dreams come true and to have, you know, sometimes the, the agony of defeat, right? We've had buzzer beating losses that uh, those are painful, but they're things that years down the road, like the, the, when guys get together, they're never talking about who scored this many points. And, and oftentimes it's not even who won these championships. It's about, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember how we were as freshmen? And so I think that's the best part of being in this business that uh, you get a chance every day and we pinch ourselves all the time. We're, we're in an office where you get to work with people who love sports. They love helping young people develop. And it's been a magical ride for us. I mean, we'll certainly miss our, our rivalries in the MIAC, but I also I would second what Ruth has said that all through this move, I think people sometimes look at division one and division three as different stratospheres. And there are certainly differences in them, but the job we have as coaches in terms of what we're trying to do at an overarching level, there may be more time allocated to recruiting, to scheduling, et cetera, but the overarching goal is the same. And and I think it's entirely consistent with our mission at St. Thomas. And so uh, lots of fond memories. We'll do everything we can to make Division Three proud. We'll still be following from a distance because really it it truly, and and you and Pat and others at D3 Hoops have, have done such a great job of, I think, bringing the entire country of Division Three. It was not like this. We all know when I was playing in the 90s, it was not like this. You sort of heard about teams around the country. You didn't know about them. And so um, we're incredibly grateful to you um, and to everyone, because I think really the the connections across the country in Division Three, not just in our conference, are things that I'll take with me. You guys are already starting to experience the media landscapes a little bit different in Division One. I, I don't want to say we're exactly the same, but we are a little different uh, in Division One and Division Three. Just just warning you, you may have already started to notice. Um, I really appreciate the time that not only you gave me today, because I know you two are very busy now. Uh, when maybe things would be a little bit quieter this time of year in the Division Three world. Um, I appreciate the time you've given us, not only today, but all throughout our history of the show. So thank you. Uh, more than gracious with, our, with your time and, and your thoughts and even being frank, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, we'll miss you guys. Well, let's be honest. We'll miss you. Uh, we'll miss having you on the show, but maybe we'll bring you back on an alumni show of some kind somewhere down the road. But um, in, in other words, we send you off to D1 with our very best wishes and, and wish you nothing but success. We'll be rooting you on, even if, even if it does hurt us a little, you're not in D3 anymore, but we'll, we'll accept it with some therapy. We'll, we'll get through it. Uh, with that, we always give the, the guests the final word. John, we'll start with you. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? I, I'm just incredibly grateful. I feel so blessed to get to work every day with the the people we do at St. Thomas, our staff, our student athletes. Um, and the, it's been a great ride in division three. And I, I, you know, I think back to some of the early podcasts we did, Dave, um, and the ones we've done with Pat, and it's just, it's always been, um, such a collegial relationship with you and, and, um, and everyone at D three hoops. And so, no, I, I think, um, you know, in some ways, this is a chapter that's closing, but in another way, it's just life, right? It's a metaphor for life and there are ups and downs in life. And we're getting this opportunity that's really exciting. 
Um, but I think there will always be a huge place in our heart at St. Thomas for all the people that we met along the way in division three. And at the end of the day, I would just reiterate, I don't care if it's D one, two, three, high school, junior high school, if you're coaching young people, we all have an opportunity um, to make an impact. And really, I think give back in a way that so many of us learn from the people who coached us. And, and that I think is, is what's truly special about our profession. So thank you for having us on and, and thanks to everybody in division three. I would, I would second that. Very well said. John is a tough act to follow, but I mean, we're just so, so grateful for everything that we have gotten to experience in our time in Division III. Um, John and I are both products of um, being here at St. Thomas, and, you know, those years are so transformative. And it's when you surround yourself with great people who are willing to care for you and partner with you and help grow you. And that's what makes this profession so incredible. And, and so we're going to continue to, you know, keep our ideals and, and keep who we are and remember who we are from our experiences in Division Three, and just know that that is enough to give us the, the idea that we know that we, we can be successful at this next level because we definitely know who we are from our experiences here. So thank you so much for everything you've done. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, just a, just a, was it a key in the cog or whatever the saying is, we're just, we're just part of the, of the whole picture and glad to have you guys on board when we could wish you all the luck in the world and all the best and uh, stay in touch if you feel like it. And thanks for coming on. Uh, for the final time officially as Division Three members, it is the head coaches of St. Thomas, Ruth Sin and John Tower, joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thank you so much to Ruth Sin and John Tower from St. Thomas for giving us the time that they did to chat with them as they head out of Division Three into the Division One, which is a heck of a leap. We'll certainly keep an eye on them. But again, they joined us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. And I said that they were busy. Well, John Tower was certainly busy. Uh, he recently became a dad again with his wife. We want to congratulate them on the birth of their newest baby. Uh, just adorable pictures that we were able to see and congratulate them. Lots going on in the world of St. Thomas, to say the least. And yes, we're going to miss him. And yes, it's unfortunate how this all happened. But I think what's interesting is that if it didn't play out the way it did, maybe they're not in Division One. Maybe this avenue to Division One isn't there if the headlines of what the Mayak did behind the scenes and kind of serpent, you know, kind of sneaky type didn't come out. Then maybe they don't get the invite to the summit, and maybe they don't get this bridge to Division One to be built. So it's interesting how some things just play out as they were. If it had been a little bit quieter and maybe only stayed in Division Three, maybe we're talking about them as an independent. This upcoming season, maybe we're talking about them as possible members or now actual members of the WIAC. Who knows? There's lots of ways this could have played out. I am, I will freely admit, a little fearful that we're not done in the MIAC and we're not done in other places. But that will be a conversation for another day. When we come back, we'll go through our notebook. There, were a, there have been a lot of coaching changes. We're not going to get to all of them. We'll highlight a few of them. Also talk about... The bridge at Division Three has built a Division One for St. Thomas. Well, it has opened up another bridge in return. Not directly, but there is a bridge coming back. We'll talk about U Hartford coming to Division Three briefly, at least, and much more. You're listening to Hoops Show presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA 
and ABC Studios, The Hoopsville Notebook, when we return. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Coming to you from the WBCA NABC studios. Thanks to our friends at D3Hoops.com and Blue Frame Technology and others. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Hope you're enjoying this June podcast. As I've said several times, we have hopes and plans to have several podcasts over the summer months and into the offseason. Several by a number of them. We have a long list of guests we'd love to chat with, kind of looking back at last year and starting to look ahead at next year. Speaking of looking back on last season, a hat tip to Ryan Scott, Gordon Mann, and, of course, Pat Coleman for the All-America teams that were presented. I'll freely admit, many of you probably know I'm, I'm involved with that normally. Last uh, This past season, I was not. We kind of talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show. Didn't feel it was proper for me to be involved too much this time around. And, and those three certainly know their stuff and, and did a, a yeoman's work with that. Of course, there were all region teams as well. It was a different year, so it wasn't as easy. So no individual awards were given out this time around. But if, if you didn't check out the All-America teams, they are on the front page of D3Hoops.com. They're worth it. Three teams uh, for each um, gender and, and some really good players that we will no doubtedly be talking about next season, including some seniors who will return for another season. But congratulations again to those who played, those who got those honors. Um, certainly a tough year, and we hope uh, the honors are a little bit of, of, of something to, to take away from the year that was. The big news that came out in the offseason was University of Hartford has announced they're coming to Division Three. It, it, it was an interesting leak, as it were. Of course, men's program at Hartford made it to the, the show, as it were, to March Madness. And then a few weeks later, it was revealed that the school was looking at a jump to Division Three based on consultants. I'll be honest with you, I didn't take much stock in it early on because we hear this a lot. There's a lot of schools that claim they have consultants that say they come to Division Three. There's a lot of schools that may even start the formal process. Mount Oleosis in Division Two, remember, announced they were coming to Division Three. even announced initially that they'd be a great member for the new MAC, even though there was no invitation. And then all of a sudden that press release was changed to remove the new Mac reference. And then all of a sudden the whole thing 
kind of blew up in their faces, probably because they mentioned the new Mac, but that's another story while we're having drinks someday. But Hartford did ultimately announce that they are intending to come to Division Three straight from Division One. There's a process involved in this. They are not going to be full members uh, in good standing, as, as it said, in Division Three for several years. Uh, as we've seen with Birmingham Southern and some other programs who have made this leap, uh, it takes a few years to step out of Division One, get rid of scholarships, evolve and become a Division Three member and all of that. And granted, who knows if something changes along the way, though I have a feeling this one is locked in stone. And I don't think it'll be the only one. I think Hartford has opened or reopened a door, I should say. They haven't opened a door, but they've reopened a door that I think a number will take because the the economy of colleges, the economy of keeping open, the economy of athletics is so different now. And I think Division Three will grow with a lot of Division One members and even Division Two members deciding to uh, enter the division while at the same time we lose schools that are closing. And we've had a few already announced in the last few months that are closing their doors We'll have more of those announcements in the coming months and coming years, and it'll just kind of offset. I don't think Division Three will get much smaller, but we'll talk more about the Hartford decision as it becomes more and more realistic. Uh, again, um, they, they just based on timing, we won't really know a true answer apparently in tw until 2022, uh, mainly because Division Three doesn't look at who will be accepted into the into the division until January 2022. So that's when that decision we made about Hartford. Then in the process, they won't be a member until 2025, or at least in full standing. So this this is this is a slow walk for Hartford, a slow walk for all of us. Those asked us who, what conference do we think they'll be joining? Hey, listen, gut shot, New Mac certainly seems like a, a good spot, but I think despite it being a lot of uh, state schools, the, the the Little East isn't the worst idea either, and I think there's some other choices as well. Um, not a ton of them, to be honest. But the landscape of Division Three, the landscape of the conferences will also change in Division Three by the time Hartford needs a home. And so that decision or that question is a very hard one to answer. They've got a homecoming, but we don't know what it'll look like by the time they really need that that conference home. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, congratulations, in my opinion. We'll look forward to seeing them come. Of course, Centenary, uh, Louisiana moved to Division Three. That was uh, June 2009. Birmingham Southern made their decision in May 2006. So it's been a little while. But for those of us who know Division Three well, still recent in our memory. By the way, it worked out pretty well for Birmingham Southern. Centenary, it's been a little bit more of a struggle, possibly. Uh, coaching carousel has certainly been spinning. I think the big news early on was Augustana men. Uh, Steve Yount, who had taken over for Gray Giovanni, suddenly resigned after one season. Um, from what we're hearing, heading off to other challenges in his life. Moving out of the area, uh, apparently um, has other priorities that he's decided need to take uh, front and center. And I don't think that's a big surprise. I think COVID revealed to a lot of individuals, coaches, administrators. We've had a lot of ADs who've resigned uh, as well and others behind the scenes that you wouldn't know as much. COVID changes some of the priorities. Uh, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. As much as it gave coaches a break, I think it also gave some coaches a new perspective on things. And so Steve Yount left, and the successor is Tom Jesse, 
who's a 91 August Stan grad and a longtime assistant coach under grade Giovanni and Steve Young. And I think a lot of people thought he would be uh, in the running to, to take over for Gray Giovanni. Um, but now he does. Just uh, one year removed from when everybody expected that move to take place. Uh, the other huge news in women's basketball is that Adrian Scheibels is moving on from Bowdoin to Dartmouth. So staying a little bit in the region, staying at a very similar type college, but moving into Division I, uh, joining what is becoming a longer and longer list of women's basketball coaches in Division Three, making the direct jump to Division I. Um, I think the, late, the last one before her was Kelly Mar uh, Marone from John Carroll, who jumped to Merrimack, though um, I think Merrimack... I think Merrimack was transitioned to Division One. I've forgotten how Merrimack's move took place there. Before that, remember uh, Carla Berube at Tufts jumped to Princeton uh, at the end of the 2019 season. Uh, not too bad the following year. They went 26 and one. Did Princeton, um, and then but of course Berube was part of a huge list of four that uh, at the end of the 2019 season jumped. Michael Meek at George Fox, remember Trevor Woodruff at Scranton. And Laura Sumsky at Rhodes went off to Portland. Bucknell and Lips, Lipscomb all respectively. Uh, Sumsky, 12-10 and 10 season uh, the following year, uh, is still at that job. The other two much more successful and, and doing well. But it's just become a longer and longer list in women's basketball. And so congratulations to Coach Shivels. We'll miss her. Wonderful uh, coach to chat with. Um, a native of Maine. I, I talked to her behind the scenes over the last few years. I knew these opportunities were being presented to her. Um, and so it was probably a matter of time. What didn't make a lot of headlines is that she is, has, it sounds like has beaten cancer. I hope I'm not too premature with that, but at least has had a battle with cancer, had surgery back in December. Actually, one of the interviews we were going to do that just never got off the ground due to, due to our unintended break was to chat with her about that cancer battle uh, and the surgery that she had. But congratulations to her. Dartmouth's an interesting situation. Um, I'm, a little, I'm a little skeptical of whether Dartmouth's taken uh, the athletics as serious as some of the others maybe out there. But if she feels it's the right move, uh, I have suspicion that she knows um, that she can do something there at Dartmouth that's going to be special. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how about that? She'll join Carla Berube at uh, at Princeton in, in the Ivy League there with Dartmouth and Princeton. That will be fascinating to keep an eye on as Berube and um, Scheibels re-engage in the uh, recruiting wars. And, well, they probably still battle in the recruiting wars, but certainly on the floor as well. Uh, also a big move, at least it caught my attention, Dan Miller deciding to leave Letourneau. He, was, he had done very well at Letourneau. He's decided to take on a head uh, basketball coaching job at St. Marcos High School. Um, so kind of a change of gears for him. Uh, I'll miss him. Uh, I think what he had done at Letourneau was certainly impressive. He had some very good teams. He helped kind of turn that program around, but a change of pace for Dan Miller. We congratulate him. Um, we mentioned Scheibel's leaving Bowden. Well, before that, it was announced that Tim Gilbride, the men's basketball coach, would leave at the end of the academic year. And that news came out, um, well, basically in April, so shortly before Scheibels was leaving. So they were already looking for a men's coach um, when Scheibels announced hers, but Gilbride announced he he was done. He came to Bowdoin in 85. So he served 35 years as the men's basketball coach. And, and both coaches leave as the winningest coaches in program history at Bowdoin. 
Uh, Gilbride finishes six wins shy of 500. I do wonder if he wanted to go for it, but decided against it. Uh, Scheibel's in the meantime, by the way, was nine wins shy of 300 uh, at Bowden. But uh, great, great careers for both of them, and we congratulate them. But as a result, remember, also Tufts men's basketball had been open. We knew about that at the start of last season, that it was going to be open. So there was an interesting kind of battle for head coaches between Bowden and Tufts. And what I'm about to tell you comes from people I talked to in New England who are well-sourced and well-placed. I did not get a chance to talk to any of the coaches directly involved. I have tried to reach out to a few. Uh, we'll continue to do that. But here's the deal. It, it came down to the same coaches for the same two jobs. Um, Linton, Lloyd, Paulson, and Gilbride um, were kind of in the running. And I say Gilbride. Tim, I believe Tim's uh, son was the assistant coach, if, if memory serves. I, I could be wrong on that. Um, Linton was basically offered the jobs at both Bowden and Tufts. I, I don't know if everybody realizes that. Um, I, he ended up taking the Tufts job. Though from what I've gathered, that was the second offer. Now, they could have come back-to-back in the same day or back-to-back several days apart or or something in between. I'm I'm not really sure. But I was told that Bowden offered the job first and then Tufts offered the job to Linton. And for several reasons, Linton took the Tufts job. Brandon Linton, you might remember, uh, was in charge of the Nichols basketball program since he took over in 2019. So he was only at Nichols for a few years. What I think will be interesting with him is he still had the kind of uh, the, the, the recruiting classes, as it were, of the previous coach at Nichols. Um, how, so do we truly know how, how good a recruiter he is? I, I don't know, to be blunt. Um, but he, he's had, listen, he's, he's been under Adam Stockwell. Um, he, he's had experience in other places as well. I think this was, I'm not surprised that he got these opportunities. Um, And again, both schools had essentially, Dave Paulson was a finalist for both jobs. Um, So I I find it, it was, listen, there's more we can talk about and we may talk about down the road, but these two jobs were intertwined in so many ways. Um, Bowden ended up offering the job to a former Division Three player and Alex Lloyd. Lloyd, um, Lloyd played on the West Coast in, in, at Pomona Pitzer, if memory serves. He then got into coaching and, of course, yeah, he was at Pomona Pitzer. He, he, did a, he was in the G League and the NBA most recently. He was actually ahead of the Memphis G League team that's also located in Memphis. Um, and, and both gentlemen are... Of minority descent, which I think is something you see in the NESCAC was a push um, to get more minorities in that conference. Remember Amherst uh, with the same decision? So I think some of these decisions were racially based in a good way. I, I think we need more diversity and to see the NESCAC consciously or subconsciously make those decisions is something that should be applauded. It's not like these coaches aren't pretty talented themselves. And so I look forward to seeing what Linton and, and Lloyd bring to the table in the NESCAC. It changes the dynamic, especially with Amherst 
as well. Uh, Brandeis, not in the conference, but up in that region. The dynamics are changing, and I think that's going to make things far more fascinating up in that region, up in the NESCAC, et cetera. Uh, Dave Paulson, as I mentioned, was a finalist for both jobs. I think what's really fascinating with that is the fact that he just lost his D1 gig. And so he's already in the running for Division Three. And then I can go through a litany of notes. There's other D1 coaches who are in the running for D3 jobs. While on top of that, there's rising assistants and, and minorities and all this. The coaching search right now is ripe with fascinating choices. Um, and how it all shakes out, we'll see. But congratulations to those men. Um, of course, not another opening, but an unfortunate one uh, in the fact that, well, bef before we get to that, I, I don't want to forget, there's been other decisions as well. Go to our coaching carousel on d3hoops.com. You can see what's happened so far early in this season. Several other decisions have made as well, and, and we'll keep that up to date. Several other coaches have been hired recently, and we'll keep continuing to keep our pulse on, on a lot of that. Uh, Wesley officially closed. If you missed that decision, uh, Delaware State finally, finally deciding that they were not going to continue the Division Three athletics at Wesley. And I'm not sounding rejoiceful about that. I'm saying finally because it took them forever to get to something that I think a lot of us saw was in the writing on the wall. I, we could have a whole podcast on the insanity of Wesley in the last couple of years behind the scenes and eventually getting picked up by Delaware State the the uh, college a mile mile and a half away from Wesley who was an a, you know early on had been a suitor and then wasn't a suitor and then finally came back but we could also talk about just what was clearly the dangling of the carrot for a long period of time i've been told the president at Wesley was convinced that athletics would continue i've also been told many thought he just was being naive that this was clearly not going to happen uh, I, I, I've learned that other institutions reached out to try and help let Delaware State and Wesley understand how they could be two different campuses while being under the same umbrella. I don't know if those offers were received and looked at or not, if those conversations ever took place, or if Delaware State had always intended just to take over property, which it really seems that they intended to do. They just wanted the property that was Wesley, unfortunately, a tremendous football program scuttled. Uh, basketball programs that were improving scuttled. Student-athletes, I, I know student-athletes are looking as far, at least as the Midwest, to transfer. Coaches now looking for new jobs. Um, it's an unfortunate situation. We say goodbye to Wesley with a bit of a thud. Um, again, the pandemic, as did with St. Thomas, was bringing everything to a close in ways we certainly weren't expecting. Also of note, in the, um, in the world of notebook, as it were, we have new rules coming to men's and women's basketball. We'll start on men's side. Uh, first and foremost, the shot clock, if you want to add tenths of a second to it, you may. Now, we may not see that immediately in Division Three, but it's something I wish they would have done a long time back. So we may start seeing more and more shot clocks with tenths of a second on them. Remember, when they hit zero on the shot clock, it, it's it's complicated. But zero on the shot clock is actual real zero, whereas zero on a game clock isn't. And what, this is why it gets complicated. So the tenths of the second 
could actually be a huge benefit. And I hope more schools will look into doing it. It's a software update from some. It's a full equipment update for others. Um, they've apparently announced they're looking at an experimental foul rule. And I'll, on the, on the face of this, I hope they never go to this. But apparently in the NIT in 2022, a player could have a maximum of six fouls. However, it's based more on how many fouls did you commit in each half. If you commit four fouls in either half, you're out of the game. So if you commit four fouls in the first half, you're benched the rest of the game. If you commit four fouls in the second half, you're benched. You're, you're gone from the game. So you could pick up two fouls in the first half and four fouls in the second. It's kind of how that evens itself off. No, three fouls and four fouls apparently won't be allowed. Um, so basically, the limit is six. Uh, I hope this never comes to it because I, I don't want to sit there as a broadcaster or as a fan trying to figure out how many fouls did he have in the first half? Does How does that impact him in the second half? How many fouls has he picked up in the second half? It's just it's too convoluted. Uh, there was talk about having flopping automatically be a Class B technical assessed by officials. That was tabled by the rules committee, not the basketball rules committee, but by the overall rules committee, uh, the playing rules oversight panel tabled that. Uh, they apparently want uh, the men's basketball committee to go back and get more feedback from coaches on this proposal over the next year. Um, also, uh, the panel rescinded an idea on timeouts. Uh, men's basketball, we, we all kind of know the 12, 16, 12, 8, and 4 rule. Under the, under the proposal they had put out, a timeout called by a coach at the 18-minute mark would serve as the under-16 Um if, if either team called a timeout under the 16 mark, it would serve as the under 12. Basically, it, it, could, it could make the media timeouts maybe a little confusing. Um, the men's basketball committee ruled that this proposal should not move forward without further study into its impact on schools and conferences. So they'll look back on that after uh, suggesting it and tabling it themselves. On the women's side, we are moving to the international shooting line. Not this season for Division Three. But next season, so the 22-23 season, remember, we get a year in Division II and Division III to implement rules like new, um, new three-point line. The men's rule got impl is going to be implemented with barely having a season, um, but the time has arrived for Division III to have the men's three-point line, it's already arrived, uh, be at the international line. The women's now will be there as well. This has happened every time we've moved the line. The men move at first, the women then react a year or two later. Uh, usually two years. Um, they, you also can have live stats uh, transmitted immediately to the benches. Uh, not sure we'll see a ton of that in Division Three, but it, it might happen. Um, it's just maybe a way of cutting down paperwork, or at least coaches can have the live stats in front of them to see fouls and all of that stuff. It, that's an interesting idea. There's also been some changes to instant replay and other things, a little bit in the minutia there in both men's and women's basketball. I won't get into those now, but there are some changes that are coming, and we'll keep an eye on those and talk more about them as we get closer to the season. Of course, other changes coming. Reminder, we're heading to 10 regions next year. That has not been delayed. We are going to 10 regions next year. On future podcasts, we will talk about how those 10 regions will look. Um, while it'll be in place for sports like soccer in the fall, we'll talk basketball-specific as we get closer uh, to that decision when it comes out as well. Uh, so that's a bit of the notebook. Uh, also, I mentioned a few times, partners, we'll be reaching out to some of our advertising partners in the next few weeks about returning for the next season. Uh, we'll also be reaching out to anybody who might be new, 
And if you are interested in advertising on this show, please get in touch with us. You can email us. The easiest way to do it is hoopsville at d3sports.com. That's hoopsville at d3sports.com. Please let us know uh, your th- if you're interested in what you're looking to do. We'll try and put a package together to feature you here on the podcast or on our live shows when they return, uh, etc. Um, and I also, on that note, want to again thank all of you who contributed to the show back at the end of the 2019 season. We had a huge fundraiser. We had taken a couple years off of doing it. We did it again. The intent was to upgrade equipment. The intent was to be able to have a fund that we could travel with and, and, and a lot of other things. Due to the pandemic, that money was used to keep my family afloat, to be blunt, um, when I couldn't work. And I didn't work 10 of the 12 months of 20. 2020 and 2021. So I want to thank all of you out there. Your intent might have been different. And and if that frustrates you, I apologize. But it was able to get us to this point and continue to do the show. We still have equipment we need to upgrade. That's why we're going to talk to advertisers and our partners who we have had over the years about getting that that money in a little bit sooner than we normally do so that we can make those upgrades ahead of next season. But long long story short, Thank you to everybody for your help. Really appreciate it. Uh, And then I want to really thank all of you who have helped out the D3sports.com network of websites, especially football and hoops, uh, through the uh, Patreon system and and other ways. That hasn't had a a direct impact on Hoopsville. It has an indirect impact on Hoopsville. But Pat and Gordon and Ryan and and the guys on the football side, Keith and, and Frank and others, who work their tails off and trying to keep those websites afloat. um, That is helping do just that. And that system will stay in place moving forward. And we look forward to seeing how we may even be able to take advantage of it on the Hoopsville side. Once things settle, we get back kind of into our routines and see what our future post-pandemic will look like as well. But a real big thank you to those of you who helped out those websites. Uh, I know it means a lot for, for Pat um, but it means a lot to us who work on those websites that you help keep them up so that we continue to enjoy our love of Division Three sports. And on that note, we're going to wrap up the show. I want to thank uh, Ruth Sin and John Tower immensely from St. Thomas for joining us on the show. Really appreciate the time they gave us and the chat we had. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. On the coming podcast, we'll talk to some coaches from last year who had some big seasons despite the pandemic. We'll also talk about to coaches who are heading in to new seasons. We'll talk to some movers and shakers, whatever we think might be a, a really good topic to discuss. We'll get to it on future podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. You've been listening to Hoops Hill presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. Thanks also to our partners at Blue Frame Technology. And, of course, all of you across Division Three who give us uh, support and help in many ways, uh, in many, many ways. I, I'll just say that. It's it's a bit of redundancy, but it's so hard to describe the, the support we get, and we appreciate it very much so. If you want to follow us on Twitter, don't forget it's at D3Hoopsville. You can follow us on Instagram, at D3Hoopsville as well. We also use the hashtag Hoopsville. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can always email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. That's Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. And that will wrap up our June episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you have a great uh, start of your summer. And July 4th, we'll see you in early July with the next show.
this copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.